Dearest Heavenly Father, God of the universe, we invite you into this place. As we share a message from your word, I pray that you will guide and lead. In your name, amen. I like cooking. I don't like baking. Baking, you have to measure everything and get it right. Not big into that. I like cooking. I like the kind of cooking where you taste it as you go until you get it right, so that by the time the meal's ready, you're full. (laughs) I like cooking. It's mildly offensive when I've cooked a dinner and invite people over and they profusely thank my wife and ask her for the recipe, but I'll survive. I like inviting people over also. I like the challenge of trying to time the meal exactly to be done at the moment they're supposed to arrive. I like that challenge. And having kids, it's more of a challenge. And when you get it just right, so that at the moment they're supposed to walk in the door, you're putting it on the table and you're just feeling like, yes. And then they're late. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I'm okay with cold food. But I resonate with this story found in Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells a parable. The parable of the great feast. Here, now, man, they had a better system back then. Nowadays, you invite somebody over and they say, what time? Back then, you'd invite people over and they'd say, I'll tell you when it's ready. And so, here, a master is made a great feast. And he sends a servant out and says, okay, now is the time. Tell them to come. And the servant goes out and he gets to the first home. And he says, hey, the food's ready. And the guy looks at him and he says, oh, this is awkward. But you see, I've just bought a piece of land and I need to go and have a look at it. Wait. Wait. Let me get this straight. You've already bought it, and now you want to look at it? You don't buy a home without seeing it first. At least you shouldn't. Though, my sister, who just graduated with her PhD in psychology so that she can process the children's story, Um, is moving to Detroit this summer. She bought a home. She is excited next weekend to go see what it looks like. (laughs) But even though she wasn't able to get there and look at it first, I drove out, my mom with me, so that we could inspect it before she bought it because you don't buy a home without seeing it first. But yet, this man has already purchased the property. Now he wants to go look at it. So he says, may I please be excused? 
The servant goes on to the next home. Again, it's awkward. He says, oh, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'd like to take them for a test drive. Again, wouldn't you check that out before you bought them? You don't test drive your car after you bought it to find out, hey, how'd I do? May I please be excused? And so the servant goes on to the final home, and here they said, oh, I've just been married. Doesn't even ask if he could be excused, just says, not coming. Now, at a glance, this might seem like, well, this is at least a better excuse because they had that whole thing back then, you know, the first year, marriage. Yeah, the first year of marriage, you didn't have to join the army. It didn't feel like it was right in that first year of marriage where you were still getting to know your spouse before you had kids, before you could even meet your children to risk your life. But this... This was a dinner party. This was slightly less threatening. That rule didn't apply here. But it was almost like the three of them had conspired and they'd come up with different excuses and sat down and said, hey, we're not going. What's your excuse going to be? And so the servant goes back and he tells the master and the master's immediate response is, okay, then I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant, without missing a beat, says, already done that. And the master says, okay, well, there's still more room. I want you to go into the, every road, every alley, around every corner, anyone you can find. I don't care who they are. Compel them to come. And so the servant goes out. As we hear this story, there are three categories of people in this story. There's the rejectors, those who seem to put their possessions, their careers, their other relationships over their relationship with the master. They make excuses instead of showing up. You have the rejected. Those who don't fit in. Those who are on the outskirts of society. Those who you don't feel comfortable with having in your home. And then you have the servant. And I love the servant here because the servant has the master's heart. The servant, when he's told to invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind, he says, I've already done that. Because the servant understands this is who my master is. He wants them there. The servant gets it. So as you think about this story, where do you find yourself in this story? I've got bad news. For us here in the Howard Performing Arts Center this morning, there's two categories. Because we're not the rejected. You might feel like you are at times, 
You're not. Sitting in this beautiful auditorium with this wonderful air conditioning, we can pretend outside is still nice. We're not the rejected. Sure, you might not have been picked first for sports, but you're not the rejected. The rejected. They're people that when you see them, you cross to the other side of the road because they make you uncomfortable. They're the people we actively avoid. So which are you in this story? Are you the servant? Or are you making excuses? To better understand this story, you have to look at it in its broader context. You have to understand exactly where Jesus was when he was telling this story, exactly who he was talking to. Jesus actually told this story sitting down in someone's home at dinner. But this was not one of those dinners where people were on the outside saying, Jesus, you shouldn't be in there. And the disciples wondering, like, Jesus, why are we in here? This was one of those times where the disciples were saying, yes, Jesus, this is what I was talking about. Because here Jesus was in a Pharisee's home, surrounded by the elite, surrounded by the people you want to be around. And Jesus is there, and he's not sitting there quietly eating his food, being polite. Jesus is pushing buttons. And Jesus, as he's sitting there, he's saying, hey, guys, if you really want to throw a party, instead of just inviting these people who can all invite you back over to their homes, you should invite the poor. You should invite the blind. You should invite sinners over. You should invite the people who cannot invite you back to their homes. Because then, if you do it that way, then it's on God to reward you. And that's way better. But as Jesus is saying this, it's making the people uncomfortable because that's not the people they want in their homes. And so somebody interrupts Jesus with one of the most Adventist things in the Bible. This, this line in chapter, chapter 14, verse 15, I can hear us saying it. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. First, this sounds like a wonderful thing to say. That's how it was intended. But what he was actually doing was trying to cut Jesus off. Saying, Jesus, stop focusing on the hurt now and let's focus on the happiness of eternity. We do that, don't we? When people bring up things that we're uncomfortable with, we say, oh, but Jesus is coming soon. Which is true and this is good. But that doesn't change the here and now. And as Jesus' disciples, we're called to get into the mess of here and now. We're called to interact with the people 
who are on the outskirts of society. We're called to follow him. If you don't believe me, Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is talking about dividing the sheep and the goats, it's based upon how they treat the less fortunate. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, this is where he was going. But it's easy in a place like Berrien Springs to surround ourselves by people who look the same, think the same, worship the same. It's easy in a place like this to interact only with other Adventists. It's easy, it's comfortable. It's why we like living here. But that's not real. In a world that is changing, the United States Christianity is no longer the primary religion. Now the primary religion is people checking the box that says no religion. Christianity is now in the minority. And it's easy in Berrien Springs to pretend like that's not true, like that's not real. But that is our reality. And here this story is Jesus is telling, is sending his servant out to interact with these people. To interact with those on the outskirts, to interact with the people who don't go to church, the people who have no religion. These are the ones God is inviting. But if that's not enough of a reason, if following Jesus isn't enough of a reason, there's research. It tells us we need to be doing this. The Barna Group recently did some research trying to ascertain exactly what was the best way to pass on your beliefs to your children. And they divided this, the families they studied up into four different categories. First one, didn't go to church except on special occasions, no family worships, didn't read or study the Bible at home, no prayer at home. Wasn't a surprise. Their beliefs were not very well passed on to their children. The second group, they went to church, but their home life didn't really involve God. Again, not a big surprise. They didn't pass on their beliefs very well to their children. The third group, and this is the one you would think, yes, you got this just right. They went to church regularly. Had family worships. They taught their kids to pray, to study the Bible, and they were somewhat successful. But there was a fourth group that did even better than them, and they involved one more element. And this came as a surprise to me because it's not what I was expecting, and it was hospitality. They invited other people into their homes, and they did significantly better at passing on their beliefs to their children. Why is that? Well, it's simple. Because 
when we talk about it, even by praying and studying the Bible, our kids don't actually see what it looks like. But when we invite people into our homes and they see the way we interact with them, they see the way we live out our Christianity, the way we live out our beliefs as we interact with other people, that's when our Christianity becomes real. We as a community need to make our Christianity real. We need to be getting out into the outskirts, into the alleys, and getting to meet these people who don't know Jesus and make our beliefs real. My father wasn't only unconventional in his parenting when it came to trains. He did lots of things that were not in parenting handbooks. He tended to pick up hitchhikers and not just pick them up and take them to where they wanted to go, but pick them up and bring them home. I remember one woman he brought home. Her name was Pearl DeRozier, and Pearl was known around town for stealing, not just a little bit, but no stores would let her in because she stole everything she could get her hands on. In fact, it was the Adventist Community Center that called my father up and said, hey, we need help with this woman. She steals too much. And so my father brought her home. I remember another guy my dad brought home. His name was Pierre. And Pierre met him in Avon Park, Florida, and we went to Florida in the summer. I'm not sure why. But we were down in Florida. My father was working in Orlando during the weekend. He'd come there on the weekends. We were staying with my Aunt Leola. And one weekend, he came back with Pierre, and we took Pierre out shopping. And then when we got home, my Aunt Leola was talking to Pierre and realized Pierre didn't know anything about the Bible, and she told him the story of Genesis to Revelation. And it was awesome watching how excited he was to hear the story. Weekend after weekend, my father would bring Pierre home. I remember as a kid how much fun it was playing with Pierre, and often Pierre would babysit us. It was only later that I learned that the reason my father was bringing Pierre because he was a heroin addict. And that was a safe place to bring him away from the drugs. Those are the rejected. Those are the people we're called to interact with. This is what it means to be a disciple. And here's the thing, church. If we really want, if we really want to tell the world about Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen in church. That's not where the people are. It's not going to be happening from the pulpit. It's not something that pastors are going to finish. 
It's something we're called to do. Every single one of us. We're called to reach whoever we can. And you might be thinking to yourself, yes, but all of my friends believe the same way I do. And that might be true. I encourage you to make some new friends. Find someone, someplace who does not believe the same way you do. Find someone who you can tell about Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, that's easier said than done, and it is. But we are going to make it as easy as possible. Because beginning in August 31, we are beginning a sermon series here just intended for bringing your friends to church. We can even do the talking if you just invite them. But when I say bring a friend to church, I am not talking about a friend from Village Church. (laughs) This is what we tend to do. That's not real. Find someone who doesn't know Jesus. This isn't just about filling our pews. This is about bringing people to Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, it's not enough time to make a new friend between now and then. Well, I've got good news. My parents got engaged exactly six weeks after meeting each other. You've got more time than that. (laughs) And they're still together, so you can do this. Find someone to bring to church. Children, invite your friends to church. Parents, invite your friends to church. This last Thursday, as we were celebrating the 4th of July, we went to the parade, and Emmett loves parades. We sat there and we watched the parade. He would have preferred if it had a marching band, but he enjoyed it all the same. And as I was putting him to bed that night, he had so many questions, most of them about the police officer, and why he chose to stand on the motorcycle. And I, too, had questions about that. (laughs) But finally, I said to Emmett, okay, Emmett, three more questions. So he asked his three questions, and then he said, can I ask more? And I said, okay, one more. He said, can I ask three more? And I said, no, (laughs) one more. So he asked his question. Then his mother came in to say goodnight to him, and they went through all of this again. She finally said, Emmett, three more questions. And then finally, he said, can I ask one more at the end of those? She said, okay. And so he looked at her, and he said, why did you let me ask one more question? But I have one more question for you, church. 
I have one question that I want you to wrestle with. How do you justify calling yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ without telling someone about Jesus? How do you do that? Because I've tried to work it out and I can't. How do you claim to follow him without fulfilling the Great Commission, the one thing he asked you to do. We need to do it, church. And this week, let's start small. Let's just start praying for who it is Jesus wants us to invite. I love the fact that Pastor Jose brought up Jeremiah 29, 11 in his prayer. For surely I know the plans I have for you. God has this worked out already. He knows who you need to bring to church. You don't. That's okay. But this week, start praying about it. Because I don't think We can claim to be disciples if we're not telling people about him. I invite you to take out your Connect card. And if there's someone who has an extra bulletin, I'd... Thank you. This is a good example of being prepared. On the front of the Connect card, you have personal information, fill out what you feel comfortable with there, but on the back, I want you to turn it over and some next steps, next steps for me, I accept the call into the strange land to work for the master. It's so easy when we live in a place like Berrien Springs to pretend we live in a Seventh-day Adventist world. But that's no longer what America is. It's no longer a Christian world. It's a new strange land where some authors have referred to the church as now being in exile in America. We're now the minority. And so I invite you out of your Adventist bubble into the strange land where you can meet people who still need to hear about Jesus. I look forward to being a part of Bring a Friend to Church Day on Sabbath, August 31. And by being a part, just to be clear, we want you to bring someone. In that last box... I want to follow Jesus and be baptized on July 20. There are some of you who have not yet made a decision. And if if God is working on your heart right now, I invite you to check that box. And we will connect with you this week so that we can make that commitment to following Jesus. 
Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son into this strange land so that we know when we go, we will never have to go alone. All we have to do is follow you. So Jesus, as we leave this place, I pray that you will bless these decisions and lead us to the people you long to be connected with. In your name, amen.